I'm Felina. And I'm Summer. And you are listening to Broke and Broken. <laughs> because we're both. The podcast about living your best life by getting real. Hey, broken people. This is Summer. And this is Felina. And today we're going to be doing something just a little different. Um, we don't have a guest, but in the spirit of our podcast and, and destigmatizing shame, uh, we are trying out a new experiment. Uh, Summer has done a uh, journal, an online uh, or recorded journal. Maybe you can explain exactly what you did. It's an, it's kind of, some people call it audio journaling. It's a thing that sometimes they'll recommend in therapy where you just... Um, stream of consciousness, right? You, right? you talk into the recorder, just a stream of consciousness, and then you, you play it back so that you can actually hear the thoughts going on in your head. So you, it's kind of helps you process through your in identifying your irrational thoughts versus your versus when you're in a good headspace. So when I recorded this, I was extremely depressed. Um, and this was about two weeks ago. Uh, something like that, yeah, a couple weeks ago. And I haven't listened to this since then, so I'm probably going to be as surprised as everybody else as to whatever I said because I don't remember. And and when Summer sent this to me initially, I started thinking, well, wouldn't it be interesting to reflect upon it? A few, you know, a little bit after a little bit of time had passed, and uh, also for us to just kind of go through and and dissect it and give Summer a chance to reflect on what she said and how she feels about it now, and even in just how how much things can change in just two weeks. Uh, so we're gonna play this uh, stream of consciousness that Summer and and it is a really private thing that she's being willing to share with us but if there's anybody else who ever would want to do something like this and and volunteer to do a stream of conscious recording uh when maybe they're going through a hard time or something and send it to us we could have you on as a guest and and dissect it and reflect upon it with you and we'll see if this experiment works (laughs) we'll see where this goes yeah so let's hear summer's start of her journal Um, the truth is i'm not okay I haven't been okay um, for the last few days. I've been struggling some, but the last few days have been the hardest. Um, I don't really know why. There's no identifiable cause. I don't know. It's not an anniversary reaction. or anything like that. I just came home from work and everything was fine. I cooked dinner. I felt great. And then within a couple hours I was laying down in my bed way before bedtime and I just couldn't get up. I had. Okay, I'm pausing it just because I want to ask some more question. Um, so that was a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and now looking back, do you have you figured out any sort of trigger that caused you to uh, fall into a bit of a depression? Uh, no, actually, um, like I said, it's not an anniversary reaction. I do have PTSD. It, it's not, and this is interesting because this is the first time I've had such a depressive episode where I didn't also have the anxiety. Because I have anxiety all the time, but my anxiety has been well-managed lately. So I think that that's why 
I was struggling to understand the like the tiredness like I really couldn't get out of bed um, because normally when I feel that way I've also had like an anxiety attack and so I've always dismissed it as that um, rebound reaction you have when the adrenaline mm -hmm. levels go down mm -hmm. and I didn't have any of that and so it was the first time I was really recognizing that physical reaction to the depression where I mean I can hear my voice like I said I sound terrible you were I, just I exhausted yeah like mm -hmm. there was nothing and it mm -hmm. wasn't even if it you know so and and so now I mean so this was purely weeks, chemical yeah there was nothing was there like any change in your diet or any change in your stress level at work or anything like that not really yeah. I mean I've actually had less stress lately do you think before. that that has caused depression I know sometimes when I don't have enough stimulant I will get a little depressed I don't think so um, especially as quickly as this happened because mm -hmm. I felt great like I said I came home and I I didn't just cook dinner I cooked um, for that day dinner for the next day and lunch so like didn't have anything and then I just couldn't couldn't move I it w it happened so fast um, That's and now I haven't been able to find an identifiable cause so I guess this one was just purely chemical chemical yeah well, let's keep listening see what else happened felt so physically drained and unbelievably lonely and sad and I texted a friend and I talked to him about it a little bit I, I didn't know why I felt like that or or what because it didn't make sense. It, it doesn't make sense. And, but I still thought it was okay. And then the next morning, I woke up. And I, um... Just started weeping for no reason. And I am not a crier. Um... I don't even cry when I'm hurt. I was raised in a family that you weren't allowed to cry. So it's not even in my usual range of emotional expression. Um, but there I was laying in my bed, weeping loudly for absolutely no reason and unable to stop it. And then I, I managed to got it together and get ready for work and um, I thought I was okay and I went to work and um, I don't even remember <laughs> I was barely functioning I don't really even remember um, but I'm looking at my text messages where he checked on me um, and asked me how I was feeling and I told him I think I need to go back go, go find a doctor again and ask about medication and um, he encouraged me to do whatever I need to do and my answer was I don't know what I need to do but I know I can't be sitting here crying at my desk because I was like three or four times I would just started crying just just a few tears but it, there was no reason so did you uh, seek out uh, any help I have a therapy appointment in a few days yeah and um, so 
we're working on that because um, the doctor that I went to before is um, too far away now that I've moved mm-hmm. um, so I'm trying to locate one that I can go to mm-hmm. with my insurance that's been kind of <laughs> a yeah. fun trip but we're working on that yeah have you had a crying spell since not since that one day but that scared me yeah the only time I've ever had that I remember one more time in my life that I had that happen I was it was about 15 years ago and it scared me then too because it's so unlike me and it feels so out of control and I remember then I was married and I had um two little boys I think my um, second son was a baby and the older one was a toddler and I was and it scared me so bad and and my husband worked um construction so he was on the road and I called him and I said I need you to come home because I don't know what's wrong with me but I I don't feel like it's safe for me to be alone here with the babies I need uh, I mean I didn't think I was going to hurt them but I was afraid that I was going to be not functional enough to take care of them and I didn't want them being neglected right yeah how old were they at the time um the oldest would have been a toddler um like just two and then the youngest would have been an infant well it makes more sense to me to have some depression as when you have young children I know how isolating it made me feel to have you know Sophia like to be alone with her when she was uh, inconsolable right it's really isolating Mm -hmm. Um, and then you have all those hormonal changes too mm -hmm. and so I always just assumed it was so much worse because you know it's postpartum or something right yeah um so then when I had the same yeah exact reaction this time like well where the hell is it coming from now mm-hmm. i don't know yeah so okay well i'm just like i keep playing i had no control over it and that's not normal it's not healthy um and i know that and i mean i've dealt with I mean, I have PTSD and I dealt with anxiety stuff for years, but um, in my family, it's always been something you're supposed to hide. And I'm not willing to hide it anymore. Um, A few days after the beginning of this year, we had another family member who was lost to suicide and I <laughs> and I watched the family react the same way they always react and I thought back to Christmas when my dad made a comment um, he asked me if I knew what was wrong with me that makes me choose the terrible men that I choose. And I told him <laughs> in a snarky um, that it's because I was raised in this dysfunctional family. But it's okay. That's why I'm going to therapy so I can fix that. <laughs> and he got real judgmental about me going to therapy. And I remembered the first time that I recall one of our family members attempting suicide. I was young, and when um, Johnny 
made her first attempt, um, we weren't, well, I don't even know that we were actually told about it. I think it was sort of just revealed in the context of prayer request to church, and then they had no choice but to talk to us a little bit, and basically we were told not to talk about it, and it makes other people get the idea to do that, and there was a lot of religious shaming about how they can't be forgiven, and you'll go to hell, and I remember a younger cousin who was very young, but he already struggled with suicidal ideations, and then he couldn't talk about them, but the kids you know, around the same age every now and then you would say, you might talk about them to each other, but we knew better then than to ever talk about it to the older people, the ones that should have been teaching us and protecting us. There was absolutely no conversation about mental health or um, getting help to heal from trauma or any of that. Um, we were told your mind's just weak or you pray about it and if you do what God says to do you'll fix it it's kind of um, ridiculous and even cruel argument to keep making as you lose more and more people but they continue you know and so Okay, so we have uh, heard you talk about a couple things here with your dad essentially dismissing and shaming you for mm-hmm. seeking help for first blaming you. Oh, yeah. First, number one, blaming you for not having a man in your life, <laughs> right, essentially. <laughs> and and for always picking terrible for men. For picking the terrible men, yeah. why? And that's all your fault, Summer. Why do Obviously. you pick such terrible men? The uh, irony being he's only ever met two men that I've ever been with. So where does his knowledge come from regarding any any other man? Is he doesn't. It, he doesn't know anything about any of them. He just makes assumptions. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And he then, says he says those two are enough. He can. Judge. Oh, okay. He's like you pick. He says you picked the two worst baby daddies in the world. You can't be trusted to pick any more men. Okay. <laughs> and uh, does he realize that he's part of the reason that perhaps you don't choose the best men? Uh, no. Yeah, He's stubbornly it? refusing to see how any of that 
Please Ed. So he's never done any self-reflection on how his, uh, you know, raising you has maybe... Uh, no. Created um, any issues or... So, so he's not going to take any responsibility? No, not on this front. He, he's, there have been times when there has been some self-reflection from him. Um, that does make me hopeful. There has been some growth. Mm-hmm. Um, like we've had conversations about, you know, my mother being a child bride and, and how that was an unhealthy thing. And, and he's come to realizations on that, how that was, and how their relationship t- did impact us in some ways. But yeah, he can't bring himself to go any further as far as accepting responsibility for any um, of the traumas or, or or the lack of healthy coping skills that we grew up with or any of that. He, he just can't get there. Yeah, you know, I mean, is it a generational thing that with these men, do you think? Because like, are, I mean, or is it um, systemic and still continues to this day uh, in, in that like, we've got this these dads who of of little girls who, uh, and I guess I'm speaking from my own experience, recent experiences and, and learning experiences too, um, but I mean, we've got like these dads of little girls and they grow up into these women mm-hmm. and uh, the way that the dads treated their little girls and, and the examples that they set were such that they essentially set their daughters up to fail for relationships if they're you know, supposed to be the example of what a woman, a grown woman, once you become a woman, you idolize your father growing up and, and seek men out who treat you the same way. So, like, if you, it, it just the irony of your dad saying to you, like, well, what's wrong with you? Right. You know? And I think, I think part of it is a systemic, um, I mean, is this just part of the patriarch? I, th- I know, think so, like, because when you, conceive of women as property you may want better for your daughter as your property than you're treating the women in your life and so there's a disconnect between what I do in my relationships because I'm telling her to want something better but it's like tolerant you know there's this tolerance that you develop like I have a hot I have a high tolerance for fucked up shit. I really do <laughs> because yeah. because when you're used to a certain amount of dysfunction mm-hmm. Things have to get to that point before mm-hmm. it starts saying, before your radar starts going off and saying, "Hey, what is happening?" Mm-hmm. Because it's just like, "Oh, sure, that's messed up, but eh, it's tolerable." Yeah, and so, I mean, like the and I, I mean, I think it's straight up lying, you know. But the men, like my experience, has been almost sociopathic, like compartmentalization of the past. Like my dad now, true. like it's just like this. These things just never happened, right? And they, they're like, the and he really denial. Be, he really believes that. Like right. he really has told himself this lie for so long, or blocked it out so hard. Mm-hmm. It's almost like self-preservation that these things that they did and said just didn't happen, right? And, and they only remember the good stuff. What yes, the fuck is that? The idealization, that nostalgia. Yeah. Only those good things happen. And in my family, my dad. He takes it very personally if we say, you know, certain things were negative because he was raised in a very abusive environment. And so he consciously made a decision, I'm going to be different with my children. But like I said, that tolerance level <laughs> for, so the level of abuse, abuse we received 
was much lower than what he received. And so therefore, so, it wasn't... It, right. So it didn't qualify in his definition of abuse. And so therefore, I'm being an ungrateful child by choosing to do other do it's other almost, things with my children. Yeah. Or, try, or, or even stating that I need to heal or re... Or deconstruct some of my own mindsets mm -hmm. as a result of that mm -hmm. and so he, they internalize that very much as a direct insult to them and their parents but isn't that like I mean I'm a parent you're a parent you know like I don't I don't know if my daughter came to me and was like mom like you're doing this and this hurt me they would my initial reaction wouldn't be to just be like well you're wrong and here's why and and this is your fault like I would never respond that way like it's very specific with men it seems like that this refusal and that's maybe not entirely true I know plenty of women who don't want yeah, to take responsibility for their actions too, so I don't know that it's a male thing I think it's and I guess that goes back it's to just my, more common in men because the way we're conditioned differently. yeah well and I guess that goes back to my initial question like is this a is this a generational thing do we think uh, do you think that dads because like I know my daughter's dad is not like that um you know he takes responsibility it, and Probably in part because I've held him, held his ass accountable, right. you know. Um, but, you know, and I think that's another reason why as a strong woman, like I advertise that I am a strong ass woman. Right. Because I don't want a man who can't handle that. A same. And I think that's part of what he's talking about is he perceives the fact that I have men, like my relationships with men are different than what he thinks they should be. He thinks there should be a monogamous relationship with the man there you know as a permanent fixture and I don't do that I'm not in a place in my life I can do that because of the situation with my children you know I have children with trauma background that cannot have a man living in the house at mm -hmm. this point so it's just not going to happen so there's a judgmental thing about what should, what should happen but I think and in, I think it feels like a generational thing more so I um because generations are changing I but I, I see it in every generation it seems to be just a common fixture with people who don't have healthy coping skills mm -hmm. and hopefully as we are learning more about child development and about healthy skills hopefully we are shifting across generations but I mean my son um, my teenage son just the other day told me about something that I had no idea about a um, a family member physically abused him while he was a toddler that I had no idea um, and I feel very I feel very guilty because I feel like this person wouldn't have had access to him. And how did I not know? And he says, you know, and he told me, I tried to tell you, but he was only three. Mm -hmm. And so his ability to verbally express what was happening wasn't there. And so mm -hmm. I wasn't understanding what he was trying to tell me. And so, and so I understand how painful it is to hear these things. And I think people who don't have healthy coping mechanisms or healthy healthy coping skills just don't know how to process through that so they become defensive and just shut it down every time mm -hmm. yeah it just really bothers me going back to the segment that we just listened from your journal uh we also listened to your dad uh what was the portion on religion i mean Oh, um, a lot of religious shaming about, um, particularly in evangelical. I mean, it's pretty common across um, Protestant teachings, um, but the more towards the evangelical wing you get, the more common it is and the more stressed that mental illness means there's something wrong with you spiritually. 
um, some of the more fringe um, denominations will even go into saying that you're, um, there's two phrases they use, demon possessed and demon oppressed. Um, but basically it's a spiritual matter and it just means you're not right with God and that you're supposed to pray it away and if you can't, then you're doing something wrong. So there's a lot of blaming and so there's a lot of untreated mental health issues. And this, in my mind, is where uh, roots grow for some of the most sadistic, sadistic people oh, yeah. in our culture. Mm-hmm. It, and, and it's really religion and this dogma, this specific type of, I think, uh, damaging... Mm-hmm. It's harmful. It's absolutely uh, harmful. Especially when you're doing this to children, mm-hmm. you know, and I, it's, I've not been directly exposed to that. Like whenever I was a kid, I chose to go to church, but it was never really forced upon me. It was certainly given to me as an option and I chose to do it, but mm-hmm. I could also walk away without any consequences as well. And uh, I've always been kind of on the outskirts of watching people be more religious than me. Mm-hmm. And I kept like, for, I would always try to make myself like, well, I should be doing this. I should be feeling what they feel. I should be in this. But the more I tried, the more I got I turned think. off yeah. by all of it. And uh, now over the years, I mean, even my ex-boyfriend, he had been really like, like it really did something to his brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's a, he's a very intelligent man. Um, and it really did something to his brain. Uh, the wiring of it to have had that like really religious uh, evangelical dogma taught to him as fact and for him Mm -hmm. to deconstruct that as not fact was really really hard for him and he still struggles with that and I know that's part of his sociopathic behavior you know and and he also is bipolar as fuck and And the well, when you, you you mentioned doing this to children, when you tie especially in the more extreme apostolic, the more um, extreme churches where everything's literal, everything's taken very literal. Mm-hmm. The teaching is very much there's something wrong with you because you're human, the whole original sin thing, right? You you are always going to be inadequate, and then the idea that's that blaming that happens like everything that is wrong with you is your fault because you're not meeting God's whatever it also creates this lack of empathy for other people because you're being taught well if this is going wrong for them or or anything like that it means they're inferior they're an inferior person because they're not doing what God is is saying and so it creates a lack of empathy and especially when you couple it with the, school, the ones who have the school of thought of the only way to teach children is through physical punishment. So when you couple those two things in formative years, you have the recipe for creating sociopaths because you're not having proper bonding and a lot of times you're escalating into abuse. Yeah. Um, yeah sometimes I mean, I... at the instruction of your pastor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know if he was ever abused. I'm just thinking about him as an example because he's the only, you know, sociopath that I've had mm-hmm. a lot of close. Well, him and my father, I'm realizing, have a lot of similar traits in that, A, nothing is ever their fault. And I think I am just, like, totally fucking fed up with things not being men's fault or anybody, like, anybody who People can't, can't accept responsibility. responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually very careful um, when I 
got with my ex-husband, I was deliberately trying to find somebody that wasn't like my dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we see that didn't work out either. So sometimes yeah. the uh, plan, you know, because I did, I wanted somebody who was caring and who was not, you know, who did empathize and what, you know, but even that doesn't always work out. So Yeah, you know, and, and it's so funny because, like, I didn't even realize, like, my ex-husband was similar to my father in that he used guilt to control me mm. uh, emotionally. Right. Um, that was how he got his way um, because I feel this obligation to make other people happy. Right. And I really didn't think I was doing that in my relationship with Ryan, but I was. He was the mm. same way, and he was worse because he was a liar. Right. And my dad was such a liar. I mean, uh, there's so many lies and secrets that he kept from me, and I think I, being raised for that around someone who was that way it was normal right to it's me. normalized so you don't really recognize that hey yeah. this is as big a deal as it is yeah but he can I mean I fully opened up and was completely vulnerable with him and honest with him about everything and he never was the same in return so it's just real creepy mm-hmm. to find out somebody's not who you thought they were for years right and then to find out your own father maybe isn't who you thought he was either like it's just a mind fuck it is because you're like how did i not see this yeah did they but, change but you look, know how does this happen you know and i i was talking about this uh this past weekend i had a, a couple of family members pass away and uh you know re- death tends to uh bring you know healing and and uh reflection so mm-hmm. as i was reflecting with some family members this weekend i was talking about how you know when you've got somebody that you love and they present a version of the truth that you want to believe, it's easy to buy into it because you want to believe because it. Because you want to. I say that all the time. People yeah. don't want the truth. They want you to convince, to convince them whatever they want to believe is true. Yeah. And so we do have a very, it's so easy to be in denial about things or mm-hmm. to not see things because. Because we want to, well, we want to be happy. And right. We, and feel safe and be, mm-hmm. yeah. That's yeah. a natural instinct. Yeah. And then sometimes it, and then sometimes it backfires on yes. us. <laughs> All right, well, let's hear a little bit more. I mean, this life is hard enough. Why the fuck are we making it harder for each other? And we've got to shatter the fucking stigma around mental health because it's literally killing us. So I decided that I'm not going to hide it anymore. I'm going to talk about it, and I'm going to shove it in people's faces, (laughs) and I'm going to tell people when I need help, and I'm not, I'm not willing to pretend I'm okay to make other people more comfortable anymore, because I've watched too many people do that, and I've watched too many lives in too soon. Because of it, I've watched people destroy their health trying to do that and live that way. I have taken years off my life living that way, and I'm not going to do it anymore. Good. <laughs> I want to say something about that. The, there's this idea, and we see it a lot, like things um, posted on we see it a lot posted as a meme on social media you know I'm a safe person if you're feeling this way reach out and it's backwards because 
when people are in this depressive state or they're feeling that way, very often they can't reach out. I managed to this time, probably the first time ever. Mm-hmm. Most people aren't in a place that they can reach out like that. Yeah. You well, ha- we have to check on the people we care about. Yeah. When we see something's yeah. wrong, when we can tell we've got to reach out. Yeah. Um, so do that. Check on your people. Yeah. Take care of them. Yeah. You know, I was recently in a situation with some friends that have basically decided that, you know, my emotional needs were too much to put on them. Mm. And, um, you know, I still can't wrap my mind around it exactly what it is that I was needing too much of. Um, I'm pretty honest and open. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I just don't think that, uh, if you if somebody calls you friend if really somebody is your friend um you should a be able to be yourself and be honest about all the craziness that goes on in your life and just because you're sharing it with people who supposedly love you does not mean that you're putting it on them like i was really baffled by that uh feedback especially because i'm the kind of person that's always there for anybody who's going through something extremely traumatic like i would you know so i i think they were seeing me you know work through um uh, some trauma from my last relationship mm-hmm. and that apparently became too much for them to deal with. Hmm. So I just find it bizarre to have people abandon you. Right. When they're like, oh, well, you're, when you're most vulnerable. Yeah, they're like, abandoned. oh, well, you're clearly hurting right now and your emotional needs are too much, so I'm going to go away. That's and that, and that's me. Kick you while you're down. And that's me setting a boundary with you and you need to respect my boundaries and stay away that's- while you're dealing with your emotional shit. That's some cruel gaslighting shit right there. Right? <laughs> I think it happens more than we realize. I know well, I had a conversation with a friend where he was, well, we were supposed to go out and um, something had happened and delayed it anyway. And then it was like, okay, so do you want to do this tonight or not? And finally he's like, maybe let's reschedule because I'm depressed right now and I don't think I'm going to be any fun to be around. And I guess my reaction to that was pretty surprising because I'm because I'm more concerned about that. If you're telling me you're depressed, like, no, we don't have to hang out. But, but I want to know if to you're okay. Yeah. And I guess the I guess that's not the typical response that he gets, um, because he's like, what, you know? And I'm and he's like, but I don't know why I feel I, you know. And I told him if you want to talk about, it, I'm not gonna push you, you know. But if you want to talk about it, we can talk about it. And and he was like, yeah, but I don't know why I feel this way. Just let me tell you something. As somebody who usually knows why. I feel the way I feel it doesn't always help like we feel the way we feel and if you're depressed you know stop telling yourself I need to just not feel this way because you feel how you feel yeah and you and need you, to address you're gonna that slow the process of healing if you don't acknowledge your you know and and you know what I've also encountered is there are people who are just not comfortable with emotion that's true and uh, it's taken me years to get there because we were taught not to express emotion and mm-hmm. so to learn how to help how to deal with emotion mm-hmm. in, in myself let alone other people took mm-hmm. years so do you, before you became more comfortable with it did you uh, shy away from people who were uh, openly emotional um, I, d- I don't I didn't really shy away from people and cut them off but I had no idea how to help them mm-hmm. I was I was absolutely useless mm-hmm. in that sort of situation mm-hmm. I, I've always went ahead and let people talk to mm-hmm. me and tell me but I didn't know any you just listened right you listening I didn't here. know how to do yeah. anything else because I literally had no idea how to 
Yeah. Like, especially somebody crying because there was, such, know, there was such a, a, that was such a taboo thing in my house. I don't know how to deal with people crying. I would be like, there, there, from across the room. <laughs> <laughs> God, I don't know if we would have been able to be friends back then because I was used to be such a crier. Oh, really? Yeah. I still will every now and then, but I'm not a crier like I used to be for sure. <laughs> I have no idea how to deal with it. And it's funny now because yeah. I'm like, wow, that was, you know, I mean, I still have an initial reaction sometimes it's like okay what do I do for this person what do they need because yeah. it's not an automatic well, thing like know, when you're you're used to that sort that range of yeah, expression and, you know just on the topic of you know helping people helping others reaching out to your friends yeah okay like if you you know saying and, and I've been one to say hey like if you're feeling like during the holidays I was like if you're feeling lonely call me I'm mm-hmm. here like you know and I know that that's not always uh, enough um, but I did check on the people that I loved and texted people and, you know, just checked in. You know, right. Like, hey, I'm thinking of you. Yeah. Even if it's somebody I've talked to in a long time. Like, I'll just sometimes just feel the need to, like, go through my my list of people and my contacts and just, like, say – and just say hi. Hey. I do that. Yeah. Frequently. Yeah. yeah. Just – but, I, you know, not everybody's like that. No. And, and I, But I feel like we need to start being more like that. I need to. You know, like – we live in this society where mental health is stigmatized. You know, access to health care is limited. Mm-hmm. And we want to tell people, oh, well, I can't handle your emotions, so go call a therapist, go get therapy. Well, it's not always that easy, right? Uh, for one. Um, but two, like, aren't, I mean, we're a tribe. You know, we're a tribe of people. We should be taking care of one another we're in this, you know, Right, we're, we're a social human, species. We're we human require beings. that sort of and social you, connection. Yeah, and when you are in a circle of friends, a group, a clique, a community, whatever it is that you are a, feel a part of, to be shunned by that group for whatever it is that you're feeling, it is a, it is the opposite of destigmatizing shame. It is, it is making you feel, it's punishing you. Well, it is. It's yeah. punishing you for your human condition of you know whatever emotional state that or maybe it is a mental illness maybe it's temporary maybe it's you know a period of growth whatever it is but to to turn your backs on somebody that's in your community within your circle because they're suffering right it's not a it's it's, not a healthy dynamic it's not a it's not that's not how you treat people. people that's just not how you treat people in my mind I don't know uh, anyway, we can continue on. Just uh, I'm going <laughs> off on the side. I don't know tangent. if there's anything else in here worth listening to. I think we probably talked about most of it. And my children need a better example than oh that. Oh God! I do remember this. That that hurt a lot. I recently found out just how much one of my children has been struggling with all of this, um, and seems to have a lot of the same um, issues I do, um, minus quite a severe trauma, thankfully, Um, but he's been hiding it, not just because of the messaging, you know, from the extended family that you're supposed to hide it and you don't cry and all that other bullshit, but because he's watched me not talk about it, so he doesn't know how. And also because um, he's watched me and recognized that even when I'm making it, he can tell when I'm struggling. 
case of he was afraid that he was going to put a bigger burden on me. And no child should ever worry about that. Because he's not a burden. I'm here to take care of him. But he's, um, he's smart enough that he notices when I am having trouble get out of, getting out of bed. Because um, there are times, I know a lot of people, because I do, I'm a creative person. I create a lot of things. I, think, I make things happen. I figure things out. And that's what most people outside my house know me for. But the reality is there are some times when I'm barely functioning. And the only reason I get up is because I have this deep sense of obligation to help other people and to do things for other people. And I have responsibilities to take care of. And if I didn't have those things, I wouldn't get up. I probably wouldn't eat. I would just lay there. Yeah, uh, I've totally been where, you know, being single moms, we're both single moms. We've got kids who rely on us, and it's kind of a, a double-edged sword because we can't lick our wounds in the moments that we maybe need to. Right. We don't have the luxury of dealing with things as they arise. We have to learn the skill of compartmentalizing and... and um, Pushing through. Yeah, pushing through. Um, and so it, it's interesting to me because, like, I think I probably would... There's been times when I really needed to have more time alone to deal with my own feelings emotionally, and I couldn't because I had Sophia. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad that she was there because I don't know if, if she hadn't been, if I hadn't had that purpose, uh, that I would have ever pulled myself up Right. sometimes. And I think that's know? part of that whole social instinct that we have is those connections are what keep us going and that's why that's one of those protective factors when you start um looking at like um, suicide prevention and stuff we talk about protective factors and one of those things is having as many healthy connections as possible because Mm -hmm. the that's what's that's what helps us is having those connections Mm -hmm. you know and if i didn't have that i probably would lay there and die honestly yeah Yeah. i wouldn't have gotten out of bed yeah. Or eaten anything or done anything to take care of myself. Yeah. When it's only you that you have to take care of, it's much easier to let it go. Right. But when you've got these other little helpless beings mm-hmm. that need you. Then you can yeah. find that, that motivation way yeah. down there somewhere and mm-hmm. manage to do it. Yeah. Um, and so that's why it is important to have as many connections. You know, if you don't have kids, yeah. Still, you know, friends, family, whatever you can, whatever social groups that you can find mm-hmm. to, you know, to help give you those connections. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. And then we need to be treating these, you know, yeah. our connections well and checking on them when they need, yeah, need things. Yeah. Not, not shunning them when, for being too emotional. Oh my God, right. <laughs> Please. Um... <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, this was a couple of weeks ago, and mm-hmm. I know you said you're going to go to a therapist in a, in a few days. Yeah, and I've been seeing her. It's the same therapist I've okay. been seeing. Um, so she's, you know, good. She's real up to date on my... Yeah. We'll just have to talk about the uh, yeah. recent developments. <laughs> well, how so. do you... Do you feel like 
things have changed? Are you feeling any differently than you did a couple weeks ago when you recorded that? Oh, I am um, much better now. The um, the depression got it took several days to get better, full, to get fully better. I mean, I was feeling better within a couple of days from that recording, mm-hmm. um, and then within a week, I was back to normal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so I'm fine now. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing a lot of people don't understand is that it's not necessarily a constant. Mm-hmm. And everybody's is different. And I just feel like we need a lot more education and understanding about mental health in the first place. Because mm-hmm. I feel like if we did have that overall, a lot of the way we raise kids would be different. A lot of the way that we treat each other would be different. And we would definitely be a healthier yeah a healthier society, society happier society you know for me like I I guess I've never really focused so much on like I'm not a therapist and I can't diagnose my friend you know with bipolar this or narcissist that or whatever you know but like I believe in being accepting mm-hmm. and loving and right. allowing people to grow and change and you know maybe somebody who does you wrong um, but you know, maybe there was another perspective you didn't quite understand, or and they were going through something, and you know they're going to learn and grow from it. And I just am not in the habit of writing people off. I'm in the habit of loving people and allowing them to grow and change. And I do wish that there was more of that. Like I feel like I see a lot of people just deciding well, that's who you are, and and then you're done with that person because that's who they are. And maybe I'm too much of an optimist, but. I just well, and I think sometimes even if that's who they are, does that necessarily mean we have to write them off entirely? Yeah. You know, I mean, there are ways that we can have healthy boundaries in our life so that whatever it is they have going on doesn't harm us. Mm-hmm. But we don't necessarily have to shun people. Yeah. You know, just because we don't like how whatever mm-hmm. they're dealing with. Or, I mean, you know, we have different relationships with different people. Mm-hmm. So what's wrong with finding a space for that person yeah if you really care about somebody you do yeah if we can if you really love someone you do you know i think love is a you know too short uh there's there's just not enough of it right now that's true and and we all i mean i think all emotions really are rooted in love or fear and the reactions to you know how you choose to treat people is it you know rooted ask yourself like is it rooted in fear or is this rooted in love like why am I treating this person this way why have I decided they're this way you know is this coming from a place of of fear inside Mm -hmm. me Um, maybe it's a fear of you know abandonment or feel a fear of inadequacy Mm -hmm. of you know your own issues or are you really loving this person you know and being um, you know having perspective and having empathy and putting yourself in their position and you know, trying to be loving and understanding. Right. You know, there's a book called Nonviolent Communication that um, basically the entire um, premise of that is communicating with people, particularly people that you have high conflict with. And that's the whole idea is learning to recognize what's causing the reaction in you and also what's causing the reaction in them. Because a lot of times anger is fear turned outward. Mm-hmm. And so if you can recognize what their fear or whatever that trigger point is for them mm-hmm. and address things there, mm-hmm. then you can be much more successful at dealing with them and whatever you have to do. Yeah. 
and and sometimes you can't be the person that somebody takes their things their problems to mm -hmm. you know like my my baby daddy we've had some, <laughs> some major issues and there was a lot of suicide threats as a as a way to manipulate mm -hmm. okay so i stopped accepting when he would tell me those things mm -hmm. and then one day he came up with a legitimate threat like i could tell there was something seriously wrong i cannot be the person you bring this to we don't have the relationship that I can help you with this. Yeah. And I could have left it there, but I didn't. I said, I need you. I want you to call your, he's got a best friend that's like a brother. I said, I want you to call him mm -hmm. and I want you to tell him mm -hmm. because I can't help you. And even though my life would be easier if you weren't here, <laughs> I still think, you know, I can still take this step because you're still a person. Yeah. And you, you know, and so even if you can't be the one to help them with whatever they're dealing with, you can still help them in a way, help them find some, mm -hmm. some other path to yeah. help it. You don't have to just be like, oh, you're too much. I can't deal with you. Yeah. I think ultimately all of this really boils down to children. And if we're ever going to change this is we have to, we have to do better for we them. We have to do better for our kids. That's the only way to change it. Cause it's, you know, we've got children who are repeating the same cycle of violence and abuse that they've experienced and it perpetuates it and it's going to continue to go on and on until we, and, and there's really no healing, you know, it's going to be much easier to heal a child from recent trauma if we give them proper treatment oh, as a child oh, absolutely. at the time it's occurring uh, so that they understand it's not their fault and they don't repeat those same patterns going forward. So. With that, I say that because I'm going to plug a, a nonprofit organization I used to work for okay. in Norman called the Center for Children and Families. Oh yes, I refer people there all the time. Which in the they're just a, a fantastic organization, and like if we could flood all resources um, into if they had unlimited resources to help all the children in the world, we would have a better generation of children. We would have a better generation of adults, you know. In, in the Absolutely. years to come, the next we could heal this world mm -hmm. by providing the treatment that this organization gives to the children that are fortunate enough to land there mm -hmm. who've experienced trauma. It's just an amazing right. organization. And they do a lot of fo there's a lot of focus on um, family mm -hmm. teaching. It's it's a wraparound service, so they're yeah. teaching the parents how to deal with this mm -hmm. too, which is something some yeah. places don't do. Like they yeah. might give you therapy for the child. But that's not going to help yeah. if you're not also like educating the parents mm -hmm. on you know how this is going to manifest, how to deal with yeah. this. You know, if they're the ones causing the trauma, mm -hmm. it's not going to fix that problem yeah. until you address it there. Yeah. And I, yeah, it yeah. would make such a difference if we could it do really this with does. every, yeah, with every kid. Well, I'll just say, you know, if you ever, if anybody wants to donate to that cause, ccfi.org, Center for Children and Families, they're just a great organization. Look into it. Definitely. And one last note I want to make as we wrap up um, the photo that we've used for um, this episode was actually taken the same day that the recording was made. Um, it was probably four or five hours after, so I was still very deep in the middle of this episode. And you would not know it by looking at the photo, right? So just want people to remember you can't always see it in someone's face that they're depressed um, but often you can see it in their behaviors and the way things change so check on the people you love 
watch for those things and be there to support and take care of each other because at the end of the day all we have is each other you can contact the podcast at broke broken podcast at gmail.com the broken broken podcast can be found on twitter at broke broken show on instagram and facebook at broke broken podcast